light. Is this thing on? <laughs> Mic check. One, two, one, two. Testing. I can say, I say, like, all things working, right? I see a light turn on, so. The red light's on. That means it work. <laughs> as, we, as we start the show, stereotypical mic check in history. <laughs> I'd say, what other way to start it off? All right, so with that, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, um, to the MLS is back. Uh, send them off podcast is <laughs> best way to describe it as of right now. Um, we're here um, a couple weeks later now for the recap of the group stage, which is now finished in the MLS is back tournament, um, as well as the knockout stage, which has just just begun. The first two games of it happened yesterday with Philadelphia and Orlando both taking 1-0 wins. Um, we meant to shoot, <laughs> we meant to record this um, before then, but unfortunately, life got in the way. Um, but I'm pleased to welcome along my friend and co-host, Jonathan. Jonathan, how are you doing? You know what? I'm doing well, Tom. I, w- I was originally angry after Atlanta went out, but we got some good news, so... It's going well right now. Ooh, I like the I like the tasty little teaser for a little later on on the show with that. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's what I say. I've been trying, despite trying to change it up a little bit. <laughs> trying to spice it up. Well, let's start with some not so spicy news, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's start with Charlotte FC, uh, which is the name of Charlotte's MOS team. It was um, newly revealed and newly minted, as they say. Um, earlier this week. Now, personally, I'm just mostly excited that Charlotte is going to have its own team. Um, as you know, I'm currently recording this from about an hour away from there. Um, however, I would say that they may have just missed the mark on the branding. Um, so for those that don't know, you don't have it in front of you. Uh, they released their badge, which is I'm going to say a typical circle badge for what is starting to become a fairly normal badge now uh, in the MLS. Um, circular badge, pretty standard. Charlotte Football Club, minted tw- 2022, which is when they'll be entering the league uh, after the league delayed everyone that wasn't Austin by a year. Um, and then blue circle in the middle with a white crown. That's pretty much it. That's the badge. I'd say, yeah, that's a pretty good description of it. Personally, Personally, it's I kind of like it. I like how simple it is. It, you know, they didn't try to do too much. I think there are some areas where it could have been improved. Personally, my biggest my biggest gripe skills for it. I really, I really like it when M- there are MLS clubs that try to stay away from just doing city name and then FC. I like it when clubs try to go for more of their own unique branding. So like how there's Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers, Chicago Fire. I like it when they try to go into their own branding. So I wish they could have gone more in that direction. But at the same time, it's simple. It's clean. It gets the job done. And it gets stuff sold at the end of the day. Um, For me, I I think it's very much a case of Safe and simple. It's not offensive in any way. I like it, but I don't love it. Um, now, that was going to be hard to do. Obviously, you have to play to a general audience, not specifically, you know, 
Tom from an hour down the <laughs> road's taste. Um, me personally, I think, I think, like you said, they took things a, a little too simple. Um, so for like my, my liking, you know, we've had clubs come into the league very recently that have simple logos, uh, simple crests that look very nice. You have Atlanta United, nailed it. You have LAFC, little less simple than Atlanta's like circle, but again, still very good. Inter Miami, even still, new team circle bash. That looks very nice. Um, Minnesota and Nashville, I'm still questionable on those designs, but they, I mean, no team has really screwed it up. Right. Um, but Austin, again, it's fairly simple, bad shape, and their badge looks very, very nice as well coming in next year. Um, so I think they've, you know, they haven't done a Chicago fire and, you know, set fire to the joint. Yeah. But, you know, they, they've, haven't impressed is the way I'm going to put it. Um, especially when I think there's like a few really simple things you could do, you know, as, as simple as not making the circle in the center, just matte blue, right? you know, make it patterned in some way. As you see, like Atlanta, it's got the stripes behind it. Um, crew has their like checkerboard and pattern. The union has stripes and another badge, it, you know, just having the plain circle in the middle, is, I think is what really kills it the most to me. Yeah, you know, for me, it's like when I look at it, I try to also, whenever a team starts to release their branding, obviously this is a few years down the line, but then start to think what the jersey design comes to look like, Where, which is honestly where I think teams can make up for the shortfalls that they sometimes use in de- designing their, their logos. And I think it's clear that they're probably just going to do something where one kit will probably just be primary blue. The other will be primary black and they'll just like call the night. I'm just hoping they don't go the way when it's time for them to release, you know, the jerseys that they don't go the way that into Miami and Nashville did where it was just one, pretty much just a t-shirt. Like if we can be honest, where it was just one solid color t-shirt. That's kind of where I I'm think it would looking down the line to see how much this will dictate that in the future. Now, uh, they, they say their colors are Carolina blue, which I, it's a light blue. It's not quite yeah. Carolina blue, but yes. But I'll give them that. Um, yeah, it's a nice light blue. Mm-hmm. I, I really mm-hmm. like the color. A uh, nice light blue with black, silver, and white as their other uh, colors. So I'm very much thinking you're going to have a pretty plain, pretty uh, standard, just full blue home kit with some black stripes, which would honestly look pretty good. So I'd be... Um, and then I hope for maybe for the away kit, they get a little more adventurous. And then, as you said, do something interesting, maybe some sort of black and white pattern or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But you know what? Once again, it's on my personal scale of one to five. I give it a three. It's not bad. It's not great either. It's, it's okay. It does the job. I definitely like the, for me, I think what the interesting part of the logo is is the minted in 2022 aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what part of that in terms of, you know, how they do their match days, like how they do any future branding, how that's going to play in, in the future. Yeah. Cause um, they use the word minted very specifically as they were, you know, it's a homage to Charlotte's um, like coin minting past, um, they used to make coins. They were one of the first cities that had a um, its own branch of the U.S. Mint. 
So um, I like that. I like the homage to that in a very subtle way. Like you could use any club could say minted whatever year, right? right. And it would work. It, it would be the same as putting established or founded. But it, it's a really nice touch uh, that is a little that's very subtle, which I really like that. Um, I'm not going to go all you know graphic design is my is my <laughs> passion on this um, too hard or anything. I think it gets the job done. Um, for me, who will definitely become a Charlotte fan, uh, I'll I'll still support Portland, but you know, I gotta have somebody that I want, you know, Portland to meet up with in the MLS Cup final. So why not Charlotte? Um, so I'll be, you know, I guess they'll I'll be picking them up. Hopefully, I can go to some of their games. But um, it, it's again, it's inoffensive, but they've done all right. Uh, what would be more interesting is obviously see how they develop before they join the league. Uh, in 2022. Now let's move on to a team that's already in the league, uh, but is still new new to the league and uh, ready-made rival for Charlotte. Uh, that is Jonathan's very own Atlanta United, <laughs> uh, who, after a 0 and three, not just in the goals for and against department, and, but wins and losses category. Um, Failed to score a point, score a goal, get out of the group stage in a group that they were very, you know, heavily favored to win and do well in. I mean, it was one of the toughest groups, as we spoke about last time. But you still, we all thought Atlanta was at least going to get through uh, in that second spot. Um, and they show up, you know, really, I don't I don't know whether, I, demoralized, really Flat. just dead. Really flat, yeah. I, I don't really know the exact words, but them uh, and Frank DeBoer have mutually agreed to part ways, which, as we all know, is business speak for we told him to agree to this or we're going to outright fire. Yeah, so Atlanta have passed on for Frank DeBoer. How do you feel? So, I personally used to be on the Frank train even when we first hired him and a lot of people didn't like him. And even when we were very bad for the first half of last year's season, I was, you know, kind of on the let's give Frank time to figure it out. And at the end of last season, he got us two trophies. I was a happy man. This tournament is the one that, you know, put me on the fire Frank bus. And... For anyone who says that, you know what, they were trying to figure out life without Joseph Martinez. Yeah, I buy that, mm-hmm. except for one thing. LAFC didn't have Vela, and they don't look they did not look broken at all. Have losing one star player should not break the entire team. If one player looks bad, that's just like, you know, that player's fault, that's fixable. But when everyone on the team looks bad, that's an issue of coaching. And that, for me, is kind of where I started to shift towards, okay, this is not working out. Frank is not the man to do it. So I was happy and shocked when they fired him. Happy because I, you know, once again at that point was, you know, on the fire Frank bus. Shocked because, quick side NFL reference, if you guys have ever paid attention to how Arthur Blank, who owns United and the Falcons, has managed the Falcons, Arthur Blank is a very patient man. He does not fire people quickly. I am shocked at how fast he told Frank to, he told Frank that he was done. Just because like we just never fire people that fast. And I think that's just 
to me, a good sign of where the future of the team has to go in that they clearly have this high bar set and they aren't that and they aren't going to get caught up in the trap of, well, what if we give, you know, these coaches a lot of extra time to work with mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of trying to figure out how to build the team? It's a good sign that shows that hopefully when if we hire another coach that doesn't work out, there won't be a lot of time given to him before we move on and we try to figure out who's next. Yeah, for me, uh, for me, I could go both ways on this, quite frankly. Uh, I understand the reasons for getting rid of him, uh, especially that it wasn't just they played flat at the tournament. And it wasn't just the fact that not only did they play flat, they didn't score a goal, which makes things even worse. Um, but it's the fact that even with winning two trophies, though how you want to count the Champions Cup is, you know, up to you. Right. Um, just that he won two trophies in essentially like a year and a half. But we've seen he's had issues with the players in the team. The players have had issues with him. So I think taking that into account, it makes a lot of sense to get rid of him. Yeah. Now, that said, would I necessarily have pulled the trigger on this? I don't know. Because he still started the season 2-0 before the tournament started. So things were going okay until we got to this tournament. And to act like this tournament is not different and not like full of a lot more hurdles and stuff is unfair. Because obviously it was going to be harder to get the players motivated for this kind of situation. Not saying that he not saying, you know, he's faultless. Obviously he's not and obviously he definitely should have been Put on the hot seat at minimum. But we're taking that into account, he did get success with this team. He had won. He had started the season well before this tournament, which, of course, is, again, it is a completely different like animal. I would have understood, and I don't know what decision I would have made because I don't have all the information, but I would have understood if they kept him as well. I think it was real touch and go. And it's a real statement of intent from Atlanta that they just went, you know what? We're not going to play games. We're going to get rid of it. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of also what went to the decision, which we talked about a little bit on the last podcast, where we don't know that there will be a regular season after this. We don't know that CONCACAF Champions League is going to finish out after this. So... Given that you have, in a sense, if you think about it, a large timeline to work with in terms of trying to hire a new coach, I think that helped steer a little bit into it's not that it wouldn't be that detrimental if we fired him now because we now have a long time to work with in terms of trying to find a new coach. The rest of the season, if there is one, is going to have an asterisk anyways, especially, you know, with Joseph still being out. So if we can bring, if we do have someone, we can let them mess around with the roster and see what happens. Now, what I will say on that front is the uncertainty of the future of the MLS is a blessing and a curse for Atlanta in this situation. Now they get the, you know, they get what appears, (laughs) you know, in case they make a quick decision or, you know, Um, the MLS comes back a lot sooner than expected. It appears they will have a lot of time to make this decision, which is a good thing. 
obviously then you can do your due diligence and hopefully have somebody around for the long term. However, the uncertainty of the MLS is a real red flag to anyone who wants the job. As you don't know what your job could entail. You know, if I'm a manager looking at coming into this, if, if I'm, especially if I'm from outside the MLS or out, outside the sphere of the MLS, not, not a previous MLS manager, why would I want to take this step into this league right now when I don't know what's going to happen with it? I don't, I mean, you'll be a head coach of a football club. Your, you know, your salary will be paid. You're not going to have to worry on that front. But why why would you want to come into a situation where you don't know if you're going to finish the season? You don't know when the next game's going to be. You don't know when the transfer window is going to be. You don't know, you know, this and that. So I, I think it works both ways for Atlanta in this situation. Yeah, I think, honestly, the only way I can really, the only, you know, selling point that you can really give any new coach is that assuming that even if the MLS season does come back in some form this year, we can make a fair-ish assumption that the next season in 2021 will kick off somewhat relatively on time. I doubt that they would make a decision to finish this regular season that would mess with when next regular season starts, which is supposed to be late February, early March. So the really only thing you can, that's really when you try and turn that to the selling point of listen. If you want to try and bring in a bit of a different system than we tried last time, you've got a lot of time to hammer it into, you've got a lot of time to teach it to the players. You've got a lot of time to figure out the positioning. You'll have a lot of time with them in training. You'll have a lot of time to try and figure out when, you know, like if you'll need any additional personnel before the next closest to real season that we can get is going to come back. I think that's really the closest thing to a selling point to address that front you can do. And you kind of just have to see where it goes from there. But yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely a decision that we're glad that as a fan, I'm at least finally have glad to have seen the front office make. There are some things in Frank's tenure that I'm just curious as to how it will pan out for the next manager, which, you know, there are things like Frank's system was very different from Martino's system that the players played under. Frank's system was kind of slower. It was more possession-based. It was a little more, we'll take this slow and steady. So that being said, are, is the team going to look for a coach that will try and keep that system? Is the team going to look for a coach that's going to try and bring back something similar to the way Atlanta played under the first coach? Who knows? So speaking of that next coach, we can't have this discussion without talking about potential replacements. Uh, so some pretty standard, you know, names that are going to come up are, you know, either former MLS managers, you know, look at former NYFC, uh, NYCFC. I always forget that middle <laughs> um, Torrent, who uh, has like the fifth highest points per game average for manage like long serving managers. Um, you have, MLS assistants in, in Bob Bradley's uh, assistant in LAFC, Ante Razov. You have Pat Noonan um, in Philly. Of course, you could go to, you know, another league, which appears to be the, you know, um, the place that 
Atlanta tends to work. They tend to work outside. Um, so, you know, we could be, they could be looking to managers from Brazil, uh, Renato Gacho from uh, Gremio, uh, some of the names that I've seen popping up. So who would you say, not necessarily you would want, but who, who do you think Atlanta should be looking at? I think definitely start, I think definitely this is the time in which Atlanta needs to start looking at a former MLS coach. I'm kind of leaning towards trying to get someone like Torrent from NYCFC. You've got someone who's familiar with the MLS landscape. If trying to recruit a coach mm-hmm. to come work in MLS is really, you know, as much of an issue as we think it might be, just because of the uncertainty of how it's going to play out, bringing out, bringing up someone from, in that sense, in house is going to be more helpful in stability. You'll have someone who's played in some, who's coached in something like that before. I really haven't thought much about names in terms of outside of that who specifically I think would make a good fit for the team. Mm-hmm. I think as we've just seen from Frank's tenure, I think it really just needs to be someone who does not necessarily who does not plan to blow up the roster in the ways that Frank did. As I think, you know, that's just something that hurt the team, the amount of roster turnover you had over the past two seasons. Someone who can work with the talent and won't necessarily blow it up. And then at the same time, someone who can bring back the fast-paced play that the team was originally known for. Originally known for. Like, those, I would say, are the two biggest, in a sense, LinkedIn qualifications you're going to put for the manager job. Now, I want to throw a name at you because it is on the MOS's article concerning potential replacements. Now, this if this ever if this happened, one, if any team would do it, it would be Atlanta given their previous managers. But if any, you know, if this ever happened, this would be probably the biggest signing in possibly MLS history for anyone, let alone managers or players. All right, but I'm I, I'm I'm a mention Maurizio Pochettino. I would be so happy. <laughs> you, if that happened, that would be such a great fit. I would absolutely love it. I would want to see him come and coach this team. I don't think there's a chance it happens personally. I mean, he, I I know he has said before that he wouldn't be. That he expects to one day be an MLS. I don't think right now when he's being talked about as being the next potential manager of like Barcelona, that's going to happen. But he did say it's not outside his realm of possibility. I say, yeah, no, like it could happen. You know, Barcelona, if you want to hire someone outside of him, that'd be great. But um, that would be very helpful. But yeah, no, like I see the, I can see the fit there. He, would definitely, I think, be able to... I think he would be able to bring out the best of Pity Martinez on the roster, which is where one of the weakest links on the team over the past couple mm-hmm. of years. I think he can finally... Mm-hmm. I think he can, would be able to effectively address that. And from what I've been able to see of him, his style looks fun. And I think that's something that's been missing for a long time. So that's really... 
that's honestly once again mm-hmm. i don't think it happens but if it did i'd be i would be so happy i mean it, it, he definitely fits um in well at atlanta now that said he's such a great manager that obviously you know he'd probably make it do everywhere um but he's a, a high-energy attacking kind of guy. He likes to play youngsters, as shown with making Harry Kane one of the best strikers in the world um, and developing, you know, the likes of Deli Alley mm-hmm. and getting Harry Winks to be a Premier League player, which is his most impressive feat, in my opinion. But, he, you know, that would fit perfectly in at not just Atlanta, but in the MLS as a whole, where, you know, teams that attack, attack, and attack, and a even more attack tend to have a lot of success because the MLS can at times, as much as it's, you know, one of the big things people like to rag on, it can at times have some shaky defending. It can at times have teams that just show up to get a nil nil. Um, I think someone like that who has, you know, literally premier league level experience breaking down defenses and, developing young players would be incredible now that said obviously this is you know a pipe dream right but <laughs> yeah it is possible yeah who knows it's definitely I, worth it's definitely worth a call yeah you know definitely like originally tata martina was supposed to be a pipe dream for us and then he said yes so who knows i mean as i say pochettino has turned down juventus and benfica since he's left on so who knows? Now, I mean, if Barcelona is going to come calling to him, he, he's going to say yeah. yes. But if he said you know, no, we'd all be more. Con- we would all be concerned if he said no. Right. You know, if, if he says no to Barca, I'd be like, all right, what what do you want? <laughs> I'd say, like, what do you want? Did they say something to you? Like, what is wrong with this picture, man? <laughs> what did they say about your mother? Yeah. All right, so let's move on now um, and, and talk about what happened over the last couple of weeks with the group stage. We, we can take a look uh, and you know look down the standings here on these groups. We'll start, obviously, with Group A. Now, both of the teams that got the autom- automatic qualifier spots that uh, finished in the top two of these have already advanced through the first round of the knockout stage, um, that being Orlando and Philly, who both ended up on seven points in Group A. Um, I think I would say I would definitely say there's some surprise there to see New York City um, being on the final day, not even of their own accord, um, not even in their own game, getting the last um, third place spot uh, with just three points. Um, however, seeing Inter at the bottom is not that surprising. Seeing Orlando and Philly at the top, uh, seeing Philly being tied for the most points isn't all that surprising. But what do you make of Orlando City uh, and even NYCFC? Well, I make of Orlando City that they came to play. Mm-hmm. They came to they came to back up the justification for being for being in Group A for coming to the tournament outside of the fact that it's being played at Disney World. But they showed up. Yeah, I was say they they do have slight home field advantage. <laughs> I would say they do know the Florida Cicadas very well. But yeah, I, they were a shock to me. I didn't think they'd do this well personally. I thought they were going to be a third, you know, they would be a third place team. They probably get in the knockout round off that, and then, ironically, they would get knocked out in the first round. I was shocked by 
I'm shocked by how well they did. I I still, even with what I've seen, I still don't have them anywhere near a potential winning it all. But I think they do have the potential to make a bit of a deep run. The only other thing that stands out to me with this group is Into Miami's performance. I didn't think they'd be this bad. I really thought I could, I really could have seen them, you know, challenging Orlando for that third place spot. I mean, they did score two goals, but I personally expected a little more out of that roster. And, but at the end of the day, it's their very first function of MLS competitive play. It's a learning experience. They'll take it back. And then whatever happens next in terms of MLS competition, they'll be. I think they will definitely be ready. There's someone that you don't sleep on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all pretty disappointed by Inter-Miami's play. You know, we're talking about the home field advantage. They, they've got the Florida advantage, if you will. Um, but it, mm-hmm. it is really surprising to see that they um, couldn't, you know, couldn't even get a point, let alone really challenge in any of the games. So that was pretty surprising. Seeing Orlando at the top, obviously, is surprising. Um, I think it's not... I I don't think it's out of the realm of what we would have considered a possibility before the start of the tournament. Um, I think we knew Orlando was going to at least give, you know, Philly and New York a tough game. Um, But I don't think we expected this. Specifically out of NYCFC. Seven points is bang on what I would have predicted for Philly. Um... But I'm really disappointed with NYCFC's performance here. Yeah, NYCFC, they they should have been better. They really should have. But once again, like, depending on your school of thought, it doesn't matter where you finish in the group. It just matters that you get into the knockout stage. And then from there, you know, that's really the part of the tournament that matters. So I think that's really where we're going to see either the best of NYCFC or the worst of NYCFC. You know, we really get to see what kind of roster did they really bring to Orlando and how prepared they are. Right, and I would say that given that their, you know, knockout round matchup, not to give too much away, but a prediction is Toronto, I would say... NYCFC is probably, uh, they've probably had their tournament fail already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, that's uh, that's not the one you want to draw if that's what you want for your first round knockout match. Right. I would, um, I would say that Philly, out of, out of, out of the teams in this group, probably looked the best to make a name for themselves, really, in the rest of this tournament. Um, however, Orlando has been firing all cylinders and New York city, you know, still has that class. They're still New York city. Right. They, they could still very much, you know, do some damage. So with that, let's move on now to group B with, let's just say it, a surprising winner, mm-hmm. uh, in San Jose, as they take the group with seven points, the Seattle Sounders, a, what again, surprising second. Um, on just four. Uh, and they had to really beat Vancouver on the final day of the group in order to jump ahead of them um, and, you know, keep themselves safe. If, if going into their final, in the Seattle's final game, if Vancouver beat them, you know, that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they were going to be out. Now, um, Vancouver and Chicago tied on three, but Vancouver gets not just third place in the group, but also one of the knockout stage spots on one goal of goal differential. Um, but I think Vancouver's had a very solid showing. Um, Seattle has been a bit questionable, but I think really the story of this group has to be how good San Jose is looking. I say uh, definitely in San Jose, especially coming off of last year's performance in the regular season, I had a feeling that they could potentially not only win the group, but potentially win the tournament. And that's the match that really like, convinced me was the San Jose Seattle match that they played in the group mm-hmm. stage of MLS's back. And watching that, San Jose hung with Seattle very well. They hung out with them. San Jose was not outclassed. At some point, San Jose was outclassing Seattle. And I think this definitely goes to... I think it goes to show how good of a coach Alameda is in terms of getting the most out of his players because he has shown that he can get Mm -hmm. a really good output out of them. And I think if... I think, honestly, this tournament already for San Jose, in terms of, like, you know, they came in... And we're trying to make a bucket list of things they wanted to get done for this year. They already mm-hmm. have accomplished more than they thought. Like they could get knocked down the first round, and I think that would, they would leave feeling pretty good about themselves. But that being said, them winning the tournament now—it's not completely out the question. They have a very solid roster that's solid on paper and solid on the field. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how San Jose can turn that mm-hmm. momentum uh, they've had from doing so well in the group and exceeding expectations so much um, into success in the knockout stage. Now, Seattle finishing second really hurt themselves in this group because now they have to play the best team in the league. Let's call it what it is. Uh, they have to play LAFC. Um, they could have faced Portland if Portland didn't get a, a goal very late on the other day. Um, but now they have to play LAFC, which obviously is the last team you want to be playing in the MLS tournament. But I think um, it's important to really um, focus on Vancouver's performance. Now, they only got three points from a win, but they still did very well uh, in that group. Now, this is a team that we both talked about at the beginning of the season as being, you know, fighting to not be bottom in the Western Conference. So for them to be able to advance to the second round, to the knockout stages in this tournament, uh, is very impressive. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, especially, like you said, from where we thought that they would be in terms of finishing in the group, they've proven themselves to be very worthy. Looking at their first-round matchup, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could potentially pick up a win in the knockout round. So, once again, their performance is one where I think if you look at the bucket list, they can leave the tournament feeling very accomplished of what they did. They can head back to Canada thinking that they have something that they're putting together, give them a couple more seasons maybe, and they could be potentially a really, it could be a really big force in MLS soon. Based off of their MLS's back tournament. 
But this is also assuming that this tournament is actually indicative of how these te- good these teams are, because as we all know, we could go back to a regular season next year and find out nothing has changed. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, it, it'll be very interesting to see if a team's results from a group stage can carry over if and when the MOS season returns. Um, but for now we have to keep talking about this um as much as i'd rather be you know as much as i I like what they've done with this tournament but as much as i'd rather be you know as i'm sure you would be just talking about the regular season right which is still Uh, but these games still count for that yeah yeah but these games still count for that if and when that returns so as we move on to group c that's something we really have to think about when we look at teams like toronto um and new england they they get five points out of it um, but it's not just about the group. Those are regular season results. So I think Toronto coming into this tournament, seeing New England, Montreal, and DC as their opponents and only walk away with five points, that's got to be disappointing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Coming you know, from being MLS Cup runner-up last year, they should have definitely gotten more out of this tournament than they did. And that's going to, that's going to haunt them for a minute. And whenever this tournament is finished up and whenever they're playing for the regular season in whatever form it comes, this is something that if you end up with Toronto on your schedule, you're smelling blood in the water. They aren't the same team as they were last year. And this tournament has just gone to show what holes that they have and what holes can be exposed and exploited and just shows how, in a sense, human they've become again. Yeah, I mean, that's not to say they're not a very good team. We, we still have both basically said that we ex- expect them to be the favorite going into the game against uh, NYCFC later on tonight. But um, I, I think, it, as you said, I think it's very apparent that they are not the superheroes that they have been in recent years. You know, they've still made three uh, MLS Cup finals out of four years. Like, that's still incredible. Right. Um, however, you know... There, there's a bit of change happening with that team. The, I, I compare it now. I don't think they're as on quite a level as Bayern Munich, but I would compare it to Bayern Munich and how uh, over the last couple of seasons they've really had a transition from these are the guys who have been Bayern Munich for the last 12 years to, you know, a new breed of players. And I think Toronto is in the middle of that. You know, Michael Bradley is only going to be able to be around for so long. Josie Altidore is only going to be around for so long. And so they have, they're having to start to lean on some of these young players a little more. Some of, you know, some of the players like Akinola uh, and Pozuelo, like those players are going to have to be stepping up for them throughout the rest of this tournament and the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. They're starting. To, and when that day comes, if anything, this should be setting off a lot of red flags in management because this is what you're doing with those players technically still on your roster. It was like, you know, in a sense, the old guard's still there in some form. So if this is how, if this is what, how much you're hurting with them still around in somewhat of a reduced capacity due to age, but if this is what you're doing with them still around in that form, you should be a little worried about what's coming after, what comes next. You know, like when retirement comes, or even when injury comes, like, let's be honest, injury is also a thing that can very easily derail the 
derail any plans that you have. Right. So now I want to I want to look at these the, the the two teams that finished below Toronto in this group who who made it through and now unfortunately have already been eliminated. Um, in the New England Revolution and the Montreal Impact, New England got got that second spot. Montreal, I think surprisingly, I think we would have said DC United to go through, but DC looked really flat in this tournament. So really, not much to say about DC. They weren't so disastrously terrible that you know, no, they weren't Atlanta. Right. They weren't like no one is getting fired. You know, they, were, they weren't San Jose. Yeah. Um, but New England and Montreal, I think, have both impressed in a way. Um, Montreal, as you know, we predicted before the season, again, they were one of those teams that we didn't know what to expect from. Yes, they have a world-class player as their manager, but can he be a world-class manager? And so far, he hasn't really proved that anywhere he's been. And so far on Montreal, he hasn't really proved that either. His three of their last four games, uh, well, three of the last four, three of the four games they played at the MLS's back tournament ended 1-0, and two of them were losses. Yeah, it's like... You, you can't be... Playing every game to be one note. Yeah, no, it's like this definitely leaves a lot more questions unanswered than really does leave them answered. Once again, I don't think no one should get fired over this. No one should be put on the hot seat over this because it was a one-off tournament and there is still a regular season to come. And once again, like, even if we include the fact that Montreal lost 1-0 to Orlando, we still don't know how far Orlando goes in the tournament, which can put a lot of things into perspective as well. I think, if anything, this just shows how much further of a road Montreal has to go in terms of still trying to rebuild, in terms of trying to find an identity under their new coach. That's really what this shows. It shows that they're not there yet, which is okay. Which is completely okay. This is this this is the man's very first year running the team, so it definitely does. I think the big message to Montreal fans is don't panic. Like, you give him time, you give him an actual real season to work with, and I think a lot more of those holes get fixed the more time he has to work with this roster, and the more games he's actually able to see this team play. But yeah, it's definitely. It's disappointing in the sense that they could have done better, but at the same time, it's a low bar that has been met because they're not DC. <laughs> they didn't finish last. And the, the only thing I will say the, the only thing I will say as far as Montreal is concerned, they, they they need to be a little bit concerned with the fact that TR Henry has approached this whole tournament, uh, and even a little bit the games played at the beginning of the season between the the uh CCL in the um, start of the season, he's been a little bit shocked is the way I'm going to put it. A little bit pragmatic, a little bit, you know, we're going to play just not to lose, uh, which is a bit concerning. Uh, even if you expect your team to not be great, you got to go out there and attempt to win games because you're never going to finish not in the bottom, you know, not near the bottom of the standings if you're not trying to go out and win games. Now, obviously, going into the, you know, group stages, they're trying to make it through, and they ended up getting three points out of that. They did their job. They got through. But when you're now at a stage of a competition, which is one game knockout, you 
now in in this climate, you don't have any confirmed games after this if you're out. This counts for nothing in terms of there's no regular season points on the line. You should be going for broke. You should be trying to win that game. And it, it didn't look like Thierry Henry's side really wanted to win the game. And they didn't. Yeah, that is definitely something to keep an eye on as we start to move forward into as we start to move forward into what the remainder of this season looks like in whatever form it comes, we start to, we'll start to see how Henry starts to value games, especially once we start moving to a point where depending on how MLS approaches coming back, we can probably assume that other other competitions like the Canadian version of the U.S. Open Cup will probably try to come back in some form and how he starts managing how he starts managing roster turnover and having to worry about the schedule congestion that's going to be produced by that. I think it is a little I agree it is a little concerning that in the knockout round they should have been firing on all cylinders and they came out gangs they came out losing 1-0 to Orlando in a game that you arguably think that they should have been going for broke in. At the end of the day though, when I look at Given the circumstances, I think Thierry Henry, I give him, on a scale of one to five, I give this job a three. You know, kind of the same as the Charlotte logo. It's not great. It's not bad. It's, you know, to the point where, like, there are things you need to keep an eye on, but nothing that should really be resulting in pitchforks, you know, being taken to Montreal Stadium, demanding for a change in leadership. Right, so let's move on now to Group D. Um, we're halfway through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, move on to Group D, where we have Sporting KC on top, Minnesota uh, in and second, Real Salt Lake in third, and Colorado Rapids being Colorado Rapids. That's the best way I can say. In, in fourth place on one point. Mm-hmm. Now, this game, when you look at the points, and we have six five four. Um, all three of their top three teams going through, mm-hmm. pretty great. But in all honesty, in all honesty, you can't really say much about the teams in this group. All of the group teams in this group are teams we know are good, but teams we don't think are great. Yeah, that's honest. Yeah, just you know reinforces what we already know. Colorado is not going anywhere at the moment. Sorry, Rapids fans. I wish I had something better to tell you. Sporting Kansas City, they came out, they won the group, they took care of business. Minnesota United, they're keeping they're keeping up their recent rise in Major League Soccer, in which they got second place in the group. They got that automatic ticket to the knockout round. It shows that they're still progressing. They're still progressing in terms of trying to put, become a real force in Major League Soccer and they were worried for that effort is that they get a game that's really, they get a knockout round game against Columbus that's really going to tell us about where this team actually stands in terms of has the loot, has the, has the rough start to being an MLS team really been worth it? And so far, I can say that they, they got the job done. They're in the knockout round. They should be happy about how far they got. They should be expecting. They should be expecting maybe a bit of the run in the knockout round, but at the same time, they've done about as well as could be expected so far. 
And again, as we said, this is a really evenly matched group. Even Colorado. Now, Colorado is pretty much the worst the worst team in this group. We know that. We knew that going in. But they, they were still competitive. Uh, they, you know, they held Minnesota to a draw. That's a Minnesota's, a, you know, high seeded playoff team from last year. So they they were still competitive. So Minnesota not winning the group is not necessarily like a terrible sign. Like as we said, this this group is very was very tight, um, and all of these teams are, are very similar on ability. Now that said, it's difficult to look at any of these teams going forward as real contenders. You know, you might say Minnesota could be. We know they're pretty solid at the back, but they're still missing Ike Opara, which didn't hurt them too much uh, in the group stage, but I think that will very much hurt the you know higher-quality teams they're playing. Sporting KC and Real Salt Lake, they are the Sporting KC and the Real Salt Lake that we've seen for the last 10 years. You know, on their day, they're really good teams. They're hard to beat. When they're not doing so hot, it doesn't look very good. And outside of that, not much has changed for those teams. Yeah, like, yeah, once again, you know, as you were saying, this this group really, the purpose of Group D was just to confirm what we knew about these teams. It, the really only, the only big shocks that I think really could have come out of this is if Colorado had done well enough to earn a spot in the knockout round. Being honest, I think, you know, Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota United, and we all thought like probably could have finished in whatever order of first, second, and third, take your pick. And at the end of the day, it still would have just been, you know, a normal result. They're evenly matched. We know what we know about these teams in outside of Minnesota, really. None have really been on that much of an upward, te- upward trend. All right. So let, let's move on now to Group E, arguably the most interesting result of a group. Uh, we had here we had Columbus crew taking a clean sweep of the group nine points three wins seven goals none allowed um I mean what could, more can you say they've been fantastic which sidebar I just scrolled through the rest of the groups just to double check this congrats to the crew for being the only team in the entire tournament to win all three of their games like I just had to scroll through to double check yep they're the only one to take home nine points in the group stage. Like, yeah, I mean, they, they've been fantastic and um, they, they've done it in a group which has been very, very, you know, high class, except for the one team that we thought was going to be at the highest right. class. Like this is group E was something that you looked at and for all intents and purposes, you can make two assumptions. A, you did not want to be a team playing in group E because that's going to be competitive and it's going to be all really good teams and B... You can make a safe guess that potentially the team that won the group was going to maybe win the tournament. Now, once again, Atlanta was Atlanta was obviously the outlier here. They w- weren't supposed to do as well. The other performance that really shocked me was Cincinnati versus the Red Bulls. I thought the Red Bulls would have second place locked up easily. I figured they'd have it locked up by their second game. And they would, you know, they would um, have that automatic ticket to the knockout round already locked up. And you look at the results and you see Cincinnati in second place instead of them. 
that is shocking, concerning. But first of all, if you're a Cincinnati fan, you're very happy by this. Like, disclaimer, if you're a Red Bulls fan, you are worried. <laughs> you are worried about where this team is going, how this team is built, because this team should be in the knockout round. I think, and it's one thing for it was one thing for the Red Bulls to to lose to Columbus because Columbus is firing on all cylinders. Um, we knew they were going to be a good team. Some of us knew they were going to be a good team more than others, mm-hmm. but <laughs> not naming names. But um, it, the loss in Cincinnati is something that should not really happen for a team like Red Bulls. Now that's it. That's it. Cincinnati was playing fantastically. Um, with the exception of their game against Columbus. They, they took an absolute kick to the teeth in that first game. I thought, after watching that first game, I didn't know that they were going to score in this tournament. And then they went out and won two games. Uh, holding a clean sheet, by the way, in both of those games. So, yeah, definitely. so Cincinnati has performed very well uh, in the second two games of the group stage, and they've rightfully deserved to be second in the group and through to the knockout stage. But for Red Bulls, um, I mean, we've t- we talked enough about Atlanta already, but for Red Bulls to not go through in this group, not even not even in a third place spot, they didn't get it because they because their goal differential was too high or well too low technically. They they didn't get you know through even as a best play uh, best third place team, and you know that's really concerning for them. Does does this mean that their season is potentially screwed? You know when it comes back, no. But it is definitely, you know, the alarm should, you know, start to be programmed. Yeah, definitely. Like, no one should get fired over this. But at the same time, people should be moved to the hot seat for this. Because they they should be so much better. They really should be. Just looking at their past regular season performances, looking at how they have this roster constructed, looking at the style that they play, they should have done way better than this. There's a part of me that wonders, you know, if they grew complacent after taking out Atlanta in their first game. Because arguably speaking, like, I think we each could have made the assumption that, okay, Red Bulls will probably take out FC in Cincinnati. Like, that's an easy guess. And then, you know, from there, the Atlanta-Columbus games, they're a bit of toss-ups. But there's a part of me that wonders if the roster grew complacent after taking out Atlanta in that opening match, you know, thinking that would be the hard, maybe one of the hardest games that they would face. And, you know, once you take out Atlanta, Cincinnati is easy to do. And congratulations, you're automatically in on six points. And if that's the case, that really, that's really concerning. Now, at the same time, though, we don't know how good FC Cincinnati is based off of this performance. I think their fans, their coaching staff should be overjoyed at what this tournament has produced for them because it shows that after a long, painful road into MLS, mm-hmm. they're finally on the right track, it looks like. It looks like they're building something that may not win the whole tournament, but they have the pieces to start putting together a really solid team that can start challenging for the big trophies in MLS. Mm-hmm. And then I will admit, I was wrong about Columbus. That roster was solid. Nagby Phil, Nagby in that midfield is doing them wonders. And they they have they came in with something to prove and they have successfully 
I they'll work their way into a team that I think will probably be in the MLS is back tournament final. That's very much in the realm well realm of possibility. So congrats to them. Mm-hmm. And again, I said I was wrong. <laughs> All right, let's move on now to the, the final group, uh, Group F. I, I love how that works out, <laughs> F is final. But um, we're on to Group F. Obviously, I'm going to come out and say I'm very happy with who topped the group. I was going to ask, Tom, how are you supporter. feeling about it? <laughs> I'm, I almost had a heart attack uh, going, into the, uh, going into like the last 15 minutes of the final game, knowing that if we didn't score, we were going to have to play Seattle. Didn't want that. As much as I would have loved to beat Seattle after that, would not have liked to have that game so early. Um, but Portland goes on to win the group of seven points, uh, beating beating the LA Galaxy, beating the Dynamo, and drawing with uh, LAFC. Uh, fantastic results for them. LAFC, who we thought we all thought was going to win the group, um, went out and finished a B two in the group, which I think. Quite frankly, I think they still had a very solid performance. They absolutely destroyed the LA Galaxy, um, and had a very had a very, couple of very intense draws against the Dynamo uh, and the Timbers. Um, the Dynamo come home in third place in the group, although I believe they were the worst third place team in the MLS's back tournament uh, after they uh, after they drew with the LA Galaxy. Uh, who got one point just from that draw with the Dynamo after being convincingly thrashed by their crosstown rivals uh, and beaten by the Timbers. Now, I think we can agree the Timbers being top of this group is surprising, though I don't think either of us believe the Timbers making it through is all that surprising. But what, what was your takeaway? What was the most surprising thing uh, out of this group? The Galaxy are in trouble. <laughs> That's my surprising thing. That's my surprising thing. For me, I don't think them losing to LAFC is that bad. I really personally don't because LAFC, LA Galaxy, I always think that game, it's meaningful in the sense of, you know, it's arguably both teams. It's both teams' biggest rivalry, but at the same time, it's not a game that I think should be held up as a, ha, this roster isn't set up correctly. Ah, this coaching, like, no, no, it should never count as that. So that... Yeah, gigantic rivalry games like that, it's so hard because the game is just so different right. to any other game to say that one game that fell apart like this was a problem. Now, that said, that scoreline is concerning. But That scoreline is concerning. It makes you wonder if Vela had actually come into the bubble, how much worse it would have been. Not could have been, would have been... And, you know, it makes you wonder if they honestly just did not prepare as much because they were working off the assumption that without Vela, the Ross, they were assuming the LAFC roster does not run, which, surprise, that's not that's not the case. <laughs> but um, I think, honestly, them being last, that's concerning. That's very, that's alarm bell setting off. Because this team, I thought even if they didn't get second place, they would get the third place spot. And, you know, from there they get the um, third place bid into the knockout round. Which from there, you know, they could make a run. 
But them not even achieving that should be setting off some alarm bells in that coaching staff. Even if you look at the thing of maybe since the MLS is back, isn't tournament isn't a real tournament in the grand scheme of things. It's probably the only time the MLS is back to men's actually going to happen. Hopefully, um, like even if you look at it in that lens, that shouldn't happen. It really shouldn't happen if you're bringing in a roster that you have all intents and purposes of gunning for that CONCACAF spot in the MLS's back tournament. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is that the Galaxy need to re-examine some things. They need to take a look at how that roster is set because, once again, I don't care even if you're using that argument of it just might not mean that much. That should not happen even in that case. Right. So one thing I want to point out, uh, mostly to make our um, knockout stage uh, preview a a bit more concise, um, is I think the biggest takeaway from um, LAFC's performance is they gotta start defending. Like they, the fact that they still have a plus four goal goal differential is entirely on the um, six-two scoreline. And that's all well and good, but they conceded at least two goals in every single game, which is a worrisome problem. Now, I know LAFC is great because they go out and they just go play with the mentality we're going to outscore the opponent. That's all well and good, but there's some teams it doesn't work against. That team in particular is the one that they lost to last year and have to play again now. Yeah, it's like that's going. It's all well and good to outscore Portland. Yeah, it's like that is. Yeah, the LAFC that the that defending that needs to get addressed. Now, once again, there's a part of me that wonders if you know them missing. You know, once again, them not having Vela, how much that really changes things, and how much that might have to do with the defense. Because obviously, if you don't have Vela, you can't be necessarily. If you don't have Vela, you could try and play the same way as aggressive as you are on attacking, but, you know, obviously you're not going to command as much defensive attention because you have one less MVP to have to worry about now. But that being said, for a quick comparison, Tom, you know one of the ways I play FIFA. Looking at that LAFC scoreline, that's how I run all my FIFA careers. I try to care, <laughs> I just try to focus on scoring goals. I'm like, if I give up a goal or two, if I give up a couple goals, we'll we won't worry about that because I'll just win by plus one. And even Zach will fall apart. Say, give If you give up two, you score three. Right. But the problem is they have to score three with the way they're right. playing. And, w- and w- that won't work when you're playing against defenses that aren't as bad as LA Galaxies, that aren't Dynamos, that aren't even the Timbers. And you're still down Vela, too. Like, without, with Vela, it's just barely sustainable. Like, with Vela, it's barely sustainable. Like, it... Like we saw last year what happened. It's not a foolproof plan even with them in the roster. But without him, yeah, no, you're in trouble. And I think it's going to be interesting to see now that they're moving into the knockout stage, if maybe they're going to try and if they're going to try and maybe sacrifice some of that attacking prowess for defending and try to dial it back a little bit so then that way them getting scored on doesn't become that much of an issue. Or if they're still going to try it and play the same way and just say, you know what? If we give up two, we'll put up three and we'll call it a day. 
All right, it's time for us to give our round of 16 predictions. Now, we, we are running a bit short on time, so uh, these will have to be rapid fire. You know, who's going to win a sentence why? You good with that, John? That works with me. All right. I think it's more fun yeah. than this. <laughs> All right, so obviously we know Philly and New England uh, have already played. Philadelphia won 1-0. And on the other side of the bracket, Orlando beat Montreal 1-0. Um, I'm hoping we get last 1-0 games, however. Yeah, that'd be a All right, so <laughs> moving on. The 11 o'clock game tonight. Sporting KZ versus Vancouver. Who you got and why? I've got Sporting Kansas City consistency. That's that's my, I guess, one word answer. They're more consistent. I think they're better prepared, and I think this should be easy for them. Uh, I'm also taking Sporting KC just because I don't think Vancouver has an, uh, has quite enough quality to be able to um, outlast a very good Sporting KC team. All right, the 8.30 game tonight. Toronto FC, New York City FC, probably the biggest game on this half of the bracket. Who you got? And since I'm running with the upset, New York City FC, I think Ooh. I I just Ooh. don't see Toronto holding up. I really don't. That's all I can really say. I just don't see Toronto holding up. Uh, I'm going to go with Toronto FC. I think um, they've just been better in this tournament, even with their flaws than NYCFC. So. Uh, all right. The uh, next game we move on to later this week. My Portland Timbers versus FC Cincinnati. Who you got? I've got Portland. Once again, nothing against Cincinnati. I just, I think their group stage performance might have been a bit of a fluke. I don't see them carrying that momentum really well into the knockout round, especially with just such limited playoff experience anyways as an MLS team. And I think that's just going to come and bite them when they run against Portland. Now, one thing that I have not heard anything about. Do we know if there's extra time? Nope. What happens is... I think what happens is that after 90 minutes, if we're tied, we go straight to penalties. Straight to penalties. That's what I – okay, that, that was my thought. I didn't think there was going to do extra time because of the lack of space. Right. Um, all right. I'm going to say Portland on penalties. I think Cincinnati has been so defensively sound that a team like Portland, which really relies on the game being a bit open and just being more cohesive than the other team in an open game, uh, I think if Cincinnati can stay with them, maybe catch a goal, then – Portland does not score enough to be able to um, outpace them, but I think they get it done on penalties. All right, that makes sense. Next up, the game we're all oh. here for. Uh, we have the reigning MLS Cup champions, Seattle Sounders, uh, and arguably the best team in the league, LAFC. Who you got? Seattle on penalties. I'm going with that just because. Ah. I, I'm thinking of that just because I don't see LAFC winning this one outright, especially given the defensive issues. I think we maybe see them come out and try. I think we see them come out and sacrifice somebody attacking for defensive stability. And that being said, I don't think LAFC can win it outright. I think Seattle has this a better penalty kick lineup anyways. So Seattle on penalties. I'm going to say Seattle outright. Uh, as much as I believe LAFC is the best team in the league, I just don't think that they can score enough goals to make up for the fact for the two goals they're going to give up. So I think Seattle is going to take a two-one. 
All right. Yeah. And skins. This is going to be, this is the fun match. I hate that it's at 11 o'clock at night, though. I really wish that one was the ah, end. fine. <laughs> Who needs sleep? Uh, mo- moving on to San Jose versus Real Salt Lake. Arguably one of the hardest ones to call here. I think this is a real toss up. San Jose. Momentum's on. I think momentum's on this side. This roster, once again, I'm using San Jose versus Seattle. That match as my benchmark. San Jose could hang with Seattle. And so I think I think it's easy for me to say that San Jose takes this one outright. Um I, I'm I'm gonna go with San Jose as well. I, I think as you said, momentum will play a big factor in this game. And I think Real Salt Lake is just not good is not a good enough team to be able to just, you know, just outclass them. Um, all right, moving on to the final round of 16 game, we have the Columbus crew taking on Minnesota. Um, why is it going to be Columbus? I'd say, come on, Tom, you're not going to pick the upset. Um, but yeah, Columbus, just because that midfield strength, Nagby does wonders for that team's midfield. That's that's honestly the biggest reason I can give. I still miss you, darling. Yeah, no. I say, yeah, man. If you want to drive back to Atlanta, I I would love you forever. Nah, he's got to come back home. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I think it would be dumb to pick against Columbus here. Um, they've been by far and away the best team. Uh, in in this tournament and Minnesota, I think they've done well so far without their arguably their best player in Echo Para, and I think that that's not that's not going to be able to be the case anymore. Like, now you're facing a really good team. Right. Also, one so, quick... I know we're trying to keep... So, but just one interesting thing I want to throw in. Why is 538... Like, I'm looking at 538 predictions for the upcoming matches. Ah, yes. It thinks that Colum- there's a 51% chance Columbus wins it outright. I'm really yep. interested to see what, you know, what actually happens, given that it's trying to, you know, make this a really close call. Right. Um, now, speaking of those, uh, we, we have one more prediction to give just in case, you know, life gets in the way again and we can't record before the, the final happens. So as of this moment, who is your pick to win the tournament? Now, before you give it, I will I will read off some of the probabilities we have from our friends at 538, which is LAFC um, has a 20% chance to win a final. Uh, Philadelphia, who of course has the advantage of already being through one round, 14% chance. Everybody else is 8% or below. Uh, and, you know, teams like Seattle is at seven, Columbus is at six, um, Toronto, NYCFC, 8%, though obviously that'll change based on who wins that, as both of them have a 50% chance to win this game. So, who you got? I think it's going to be Philadelphia who wins it all. For me, I think, at least on this side of the bracket, I would be shocked if Philadelphia doesn't make the final, at least. I think Philadelphia has one of the easier paths to the final that they have to worry about. And on the other side of the bracket, I think they end up playing Columbus. And I just think Philadelphia, that squad's had more time together in terms of seasons and knowing how each other play. So I think I'm going to call Philadelphia to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with Columbus, unsurprisingly. 
Um, not just am I picking the team that I think is the best team in the tournament at this moment, um, but also, you know, picking Columbus has gone pretty well for me so far. So you got right until the end. I'm going to stick with Columbus. I think they're a fantastic team. Um, I I believe they can match up and beat any of the teams left in the tournament. The one exception there may be LAFC. Mm-hmm. I think if they have to play LAFC, which of course, according to my predictions, they won't. Um, they have to play LAFC. That could be a detriment to them because I don't think they could keep pace with an uh, LAFC team. But I think they could match up well against your likely other semifinalist in Seattle. So I think they can match up well with any of the other teams they're going to have to face. Um, who would play them in the final? Uh, I would say, honestly, whoever wins the matchup between likely Portland uh, and the Toronto NYC winner, I think whoever wins that will probably beat Philly and then move on to the final. Because if it's a team like uh, Toronto, uh, they will have found form again. And I think if they found form, they've caught momentum. They'll be one of. The, they'll probably be the best team on that side of the bracket. Same goes for NYCFC. I think if Portland goes through, again, when we've seen what Portland can do in a tournament when they get hot, so I'm just going to go with that. So yeah, that, yeah, momentum can be a wonderful thing. <laughs> it's like it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what goes down, who comes out of this holding. I guess. The MLS is back trophy. Have they even said what they if the, what hardware they're handing out? I don't know. I'm I'm hoping it looks as good as the MLS Cup does, but I would not hold my yeah. No. They're like this is the <laughs> it's only- probably going to be just a giant Audi logo. They're like this is the only time we'll hopefully have to do this. Just take this bowl and call it a night. <laughs> yeah, it's just a giant uh, silver mask. <laughs> They're like, congratulations, here you go. I'd respect that, honestly. Honestly, I would too. Like a trophy you can even... Uh, all right. <laughs> With that out of the way, uh, I think that's going to be it for us this time. Uh, thank you, as always, Jonathan, for joining me. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's been a fu- It's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride. Don't sound like it's over. I mean, Don't sound like we're done. I would with say, this. well, let me rephrase it. It's a fun ride. Then we've got the MLS is back final. And then from there, you know, we're kind of waiting for MLS to say what the season looks like. Yeah. So if we, so if we don't, um, if you don't hear from us again, uh, the MLS season has been canceled. Um, Seattle won the MLS is back tournament. So I'm unhappy and don't want to do an episode. So if we don't hear from us within like a month, that's what's happened. Um, and but hopefully that won't be the case. Hopefully we'll be back uh, before the yeah. final, or if not shortly there. Yeah, like hopefully before the final, um, so we again, can both talk about how wrong we were. No, oh, yes, when the final is Orlando versus Vancouver, um, I'd be down for awesome, that. No. <laughs> it'd be it'd be interesting. All right. With that said, thanks again, Jonathan, um, and we will see you all next time.